Welcome back to Water Flying. This week we are joined by Ben Ships, owner and designated pilot examiner at Jack Brown Seaplane Base here in Winter Haven, Florida. Stay tuned. You're listening to Water Flying, a weekly podcast to bring you all things seaplanes. I'm Steve McCoy, the Executive Director of the Seaplane Pilots Association. And I'm Abby Kellett, Assistant to the Executive Director at the Seaplane Pilots Association, and I'm also a flight instructor in seaplanes. The Seaplane Pilots Association is committed to protecting and promoting water flying. We achieve this by working to maintain and expand waterway access. We promote seaplane safety, create educational programs, produce the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community, and we create exciting seaplane events. We want to continue to improve this podcast, and we encourage your feedback. Feel free to reach out to us if there is anything you would like to hear in future episodes. So thanks for listening. Let's jump right in. Well, welcome back to another episode of Water Flying. I'd like to thank Ben Ships for joining us. Uh, we've been trying to get him on the podcast now for several months, even though we're right down the street from each other. And uh, why this is so important for us is the impact that Brown Seaplane Base has had on our seaplane community for almost 60 years now. Ben, thank you so much. Uh, it's good to have you on board today. Steve, thanks for having me. Abby, great to be here and really honored and humbled to be here with you. Get to chat seaplane flying. It's something I could uh, talk all day about. Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> pretty great. So thank you so much, Ben. You know, I just saw you at the base. Thanks for letting me drag you over. Appreciate it. <laughs> so Jack Brown's really has an amazing history. I know I'm aware of it having taught there for the past two years. So why don't you take us through some of the journey up to this point and how you came to be in this position as DPE and owner? Sure. I'd be happy to. So I actually came to learn about Jack Browns as a student. Uh, I came through and got my seaplane rating um, here at the Jack Brown Seaplane Base back in 2010. Wow. Uh, I was a junior in college and really had no uh, aspirations to fly commercially uh, at the time. And um, I grew up in Venice, Florida, Sarasota County. And this was, uh, I looked up seaplane bases that were not too far from from home i was visiting from college for a couple of weeks and i saw that they had a fleet of j3 cubs i had never flown a j3 before and i was like you know what? i'm gonna go give that a shot and uh you know booked my training dates and uh you know kind of the rest is history the the training went went really well and it was a a different kind of bug that bit me the, the seaplane <laughs> flying uh you know i've been flying for about three years prior to getting my seaplane rating uh, but this was just kind of a a new level of freedom, and, yeah. uh, and until I did seaplane flying, I, I I didn't really have that aspiration like, hey, I want to really pursue this. Uh, but my training went really well. My check ride, I guess, went even better. Yeah. So he won't say this, but I'm allowed to say this because John said that it's the best check ride he's ever done. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's, and that's pretty, pretty cool. Coming from coming John from Brown. a guy that's done more check rides than anyone else in history. Exactly. Wow, well, that, that's, that, a... that's still a very humbling thing to hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, Mr. Brown, after my check ride, said, "Hey, get your CFI, and love to have you come down here and teach." And at the time, I had figured he threw that out lightly and many times a week. Yeah. No. Uh, so I actually went back to school, and about three weeks later, I was kind of mauling over Mr. Brown's words. So I actually picked up the phone and called the seaplane base. I said, Mr. Brown, were you serious about that offer? He says, absolutely. I said, well, 
uh, it's kind of a fork in the road. I actually I was playing um, college football at a Liberty University at the time, and I had uh, another red shirt year to uh, to play. Um, so I had a meeting with my head football coach and said, "Hey, I've got an opportunity here. So I got one more season, uh, but I'm I'm not going to play my my final my red shirt senior year because I've got a, a job opportunity in Florida to go fly seaplanes." Uh, so I actually that that year I changed my major from business management to aviation, and it kind of really put me on a, a totally new trajectory. And over that next twelve months, uh, I worked hard to get my commercial and my CFI done. Wow! And every yeah. month I kept uh, in touch with Mr. Brown, and um, and I came down here with wet ink on my <laughs> newly printed CFI, and and really did it to teach here at the seaplane base. Wow, that's amazing. A lot of people probably come to Florida and get bit by mosquitoes and, and other bugs. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I like that analogy if I got bit by a bug in Florida. And, you know, we do have other things other than mosquitoes. We have seaplanes, too. Which that's once, right. Once you uh, get bitten by that bug, uh, there's there's no cure for that one except more flying. That's it. It's a good bug, but it's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. <laughs> so you worked, you were a flight instructor for a couple of years and... From there, what happened? Yes. So um, actually, when I got hired, I had a, had a restricted medical. Uh, basically, I, I held a third-class soda, uh, which kind of limited my medical certificate. Uh, so after I'd been instructing for you know, a year, year and a half, I was like, well, I'm really seeing opportunities open up, and I could actually go uh, fly commercially. And, and honestly, one of the the seeds that had planted the idea of getting a seaplane rating was the adventure of Alaska. One of my best friends in college had spent the summer in Bethel, Alaska, just as a, a hangar boy in, in fueling planes and, <laughs> and helping out and building some time in the right seat. And uh, for a private pilot with a restricted medical, that sounded like the most awesome adventure. Right. Uh, so then kind of, you know, back to the beginning there, that's what got me thinking about seaplane flying was Alaska. So the fact that uh, after a year and a half of instructing at Browns, I was able to get all my medical things cleared up. Uh, with the help of uh, Larry Enlow, an inspector. Uh, great, great FAA uh, inspector that uh, we enjoyed working with quite a bit and unfortunately passed away. But we've got another one in Jex. Uh, we do. Uh, here at the FISDO that uh, we work with quite a bit. We just did a series of CFI seminars on seaplanes with Jex. And uh, so it's always good to have your local FISDO. Yes, they've, they've been uh, really great to work with. Um, every one of them has been first class and uh, again, uh, like I said, uh, Larry Enlow really helped me out get my um, soda bumped up to a first class after a couple of medical flight tests. Uh, so actually after that medical flight test was done, uh, in under a year, I actually got a job up in Alaska uh, flying in Juneau for Alaska Sea. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Part 135. Yeah. Uh, so went up there for summer season and uh, moved back here and... Um, that was in 2013. I've been here at the Seaplane Base ever since. Wow, and I met you probably in 2011? That's right. Yeah, I started so, uh, instructing in July 2011. Yeah, and uh, so he was actually uh, ferrying an airplane from the Seattle area, the San Juan Islands, uh, back here to Florida that That's had right. been sold uh, with a new owner, and it was kind of an interesting gentleman. It was actually Richard, Richard Box, uh, Husky. Yes. On Anfibs. Yeah, I got to meet Richard. Of course, uh, Richard and the seaplane base go way back as he was oh, yeah. a, a neighbor, yeah. shared right. a beach with the seaplane base. So, you know, I'd, I'd heard so many stories about Richard as the neighbor. So it was really neat to uh, put a, a face to the name, get to shake his hand, and, and then take his airplane. 
Yeah, that was amazing. And uh, so he came and spent some time with us at the farmhouse at AirVenture. Mm-hmm. And for, for those younger listeners that, that may not know who Richard Bach is, he was the author that wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull, as well as many other books, a couple of other movies that uh, John Brown and actually Jack Brown uh, appeared in uh, Nothing by Chance. That's right. Movie. Yeah, it was a really, really neat film. So uh, lots of history there. Definitely, definitely. So working at the seaplane base, you came back, instructed, and how did you come into the position of owner and DPE? Because that's yes. a pretty recent development. Yes, so we're going to have to hit the rewind button again, go back uh, <laughs> to actually uh, when I started at the seaplane base, um, my first day of not actually instructing, but actually starting my training to instruct, I uh, was um, waiting on my instructor to come in and they happen to be about an hour late this particular morning, and, th- and this person <laughs> is never late. Looking back, um, there may have been a little matchmaking going on. <laughs> but my my now wife, uh, she had just graduated from University of Florida, and of course, I had just graduated from school, and we didn't really know anybody in town. And she was out filling out some job applications at the seaplane base, um, I guess uh, under her mother's directions <laughs> and suggestions. So we got to talking uh, about an hour that uh, that first day that we met. And, uh, you know, she was just, we kind of really hit it off as, as friends. And about a week after I signed my year contract, I was in the boss's office asking to date his daughter. And that was, <laughs> I've taken several check rides with, with John Brown, but that was, uh, all those check rides, they, they paled in comparison to that, that question. But, but think about how prepared you are. I mean, how good under pressure you must be now. It's like, <laughs> no, I did the hardest thing I could ever do. And then you obviously had to ask him for, you know, to marry her later. Yes. And that was a lot, lot less, um, stressful of a conversation. Than the first I one. should see that. Yeah. I Correct. See that. Yeah. We had a relationship <laughs> built at that point Definitely. and, uh, you know, we, we both felt like, Hey, that was going to complete the family. And we were, we were, uh, and they've always been, the Browns have always treated me like family, even right. before we saw where things were going, uh, with, with Allison and I, uh, but no, it's, it's been a, a really neat journey. Um, of course, starting a new job and then, you know, uh, having this uh, new girlfriend uh, kind of coincide. And my brother's like, don't date the boss's daughter. You know, this is not going to go well. <laughs> that, that is the fastest way to ensure that you have an exit That's right. from, the, from the company. But you know what? I, I took her down to Venice, my hometown. Uh, she met my family just a, a few weeks into dating. And, my, and those my two older brothers, both, and my younger sister were like, you know what? You'd be crazy yeah. not to... Uh, date her so uh, she she's really an awesome woman oh that's awesome and i'm glad to see someone from florida coming back to florida like this as well i mean my whole journey i was a fort lauderdale native so uh and i never thought i'd get end up back in florida living in sure. florida until i took this job so when we spent a lot of summers over in venice looking for shark's teeth and stuff like that oh, on yeah. casperson beach and with the with the ringling brothers and the museum and everything over there so uh, i think it's great that you know we ended both ended up on the west coast uh, for school okay and and then you know we hear you come back and there's this great you know story behind sure you know, yeah meeting the boss's daughter and then and then ultimately taking over the business. Which That's is- it. Yeah. Once once uh, my wife and I got married, uh, Mr. Brown at, at the time didn't really have um, uh, plans. He was still trying to figure out a succession plan. What mm-hmm. what's he going to do? Uh, he'd been uh, doing it year in a year out for for a, a long time, and um, and of course had cultivated and built this business up to what it is today, and uh, of course wants it to continue. Yeah, uh, would be the the 
his first choice. And uh, I really think it's just a, a God thing the way things worked out because seaplane flying, number one, wasn't even on, on my radar. And, of course, for me to actually take over the business, the efficiency, the key to that is having an examiner that is really designated to the seaplane rides there. Because exactly. we, we won't schedule somebody unless there's a DPE available just be, because of the nature of the training, two days and then that check right on the second day. So so people have a, an idea of just how long the base has been here. You guys have had a couple of anniversaries as of late. And uh, when when exactly did Brown Seaplane Base, uh, when, when did it actually start operation? Sure. So there was actually uh, in 1960, Jack Brown was the first FBO operator here at KGIF at Winter Haven. Wow. wow. Yeah, it was a Brown's Flying Service. And um, at some point in the, the third year of that business, he did some business trade deal and ended up taking a J3 Cub that was on a set of Edo floats uh, in on trade. And and that was 1963. Wow. And it they found some, I guess it was less grown up area on Lake Jesse on the shoreline. <laughs> they they forced this airplane through the uh, through the swamp grass there. And uh, Jack started uh, doing some rides for some friends. And, um, you know, one thing, you know, word of mouth kind of from there, he had some uh, some former military buddies that would help him out instructing. And then he was just doing seaplane rides and instruction as well. Wow. And and it's really a unique base because it's literally built on stilts over the lake. Oh, yes. Uh, which adds to the character, I think, of the base a lot. It, it is. You know, technically at its roots, I guess it's a, it's a fixed base operation. But honestly, when you're walking down the dock or walking uh, down the front walkway towards the dock, it, it feels more therapeutic like a fish camp. Or, yes. And, and people, and, and honestly, it's easy for me to take for granted just walking out there every single day. Uh, but I'm getting this renewed uh, perspective with every student that walks down there just because of like, See the wow, this is so unique. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, it's a really neat how um, you can have somebody that did their seaplane rating 30, 40 years ago and say, you know what? I sat right there in a rocking chair and, and had a cold drink after my check ride. And the fact that, you know, you can have somebody and we're actually seeing second and third generation yes. people bringing mm-hmm their kids and grandkids saying, Hey, right here's where I sat and did. This, this is where I debriefed. Some and of them flew with Jack. Exactly. Some of them got their check ride. So that, the that's a, a really neat part of the history that it is a multi-generational thing, not just from the Brown family, but also our, our students and customers. You know, what I love about it is the amount of return customers that we see. We actually build a relationship uh, with the people that come. I like to say just they're coming to scratch the itch that is seaplane yeah. flying. Um, but it, it's really neat, and that's what makes our operation. I'm sure that um, other operations feel the same, but I really feel like that's what makes it for me very special is the one-on-one relationship and, and platform that we get and yeah. getting to know people. Well, it's hard to believe. I'm only I'm only 54, so that you know I can remember. I, I'd much rather be 40, but at this point I'm 54. But I remember in 1983 dragging my dad to the base for the first time and saying, you know, I want to get my seaplane rating and this is what I want to do and this is where I want to do it. And uh, so it's hard to believe, you know, now here we are in 2021. So 48 or 38 years uh, wow. ago was my first introduction to Browns. And I've been flying there ever since. And as we were talking about before, uh, John actually assigned three of my my ratings, uh, which has been a tremendous honor. And and um, 
that's why it's been so important to get you on board. There's so much that happens at this base that we have yet to talk about on this podcast. So um, anyway, it's it's just amazing history, and we could go on all day for this, and, and I look forward to talking more about it in the future. But let's talk about what you see as a DPE in the seaplane world um, with your applicants and your students. And I guess there's two parts to this question. Number one, when you see a student come in the front door at the school, what are the weaknesses that you see in today's pilots trying to make the transition to a seaplane pilot? And then secondarily, as a DPE, there's a whole nother side of it. And what do they struggle on on the actual check ride itself? Because I think that would really benefit the listeners a lot that are not that are considering getting their rating that haven't got their rating, that it'll it'll tell them where to focus uh, on what skills uh, before they come. Sure. And that's an excellent question. Um, and really the root of that question is what helps drive the curriculum. Um, I, I tell all of our instructors that I hire, I hire you as a psychologist that <laughs> knows how to he fly. Uh, and Abby has heard that multiple times. And in most of our uh, instructor meetings, we're talking about psychology and learning process and, and negative transfers, positive transfers. Exactly. Um, so I would say the first part of your question where somebody coming in just to start the training, not the check ride, uh, what we're seeing nowadays, and it's a really great thing, I think it's improving safety overall in aviation, uh, but the more automated cockpits get, uh, it's, it's really a, a driving force for desire of getting the seaplane rating because you, you really can't automate seaplane flying too much. <laughs> it, it's, it's so um, on the fly decision-making. Yeah. Um, that you really can't program that or set that up to some algorithm. Uh, so it's it's really having an open mind. I'd yeah. say the, the biggest negative transfer that people struggle with is, you know, sitting in a ground school, they might have a specific question. And then, you know, the instructors, they're, they're almost like uh, professional deflectors. They said, that's one of those things that once you get in the airplane, it's going to make a lot more sense. Right. So it is one of those things that while it's frustrating as a student, like I can't put, you know, I can't put one right way to do this maneuver. Um, so the most common errors is usually um, fixating too much on the procedures and just the right way to do it. And oftentimes that kind of puts blinders on your critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of leads into the second part of the question on check rides. Um, you know, as far as having a game plan, I'm required to do that as a as a pilot examiner. I have to have a written plan of action, uh, which I, I do and I follow. It's it's more of a it's a fancy term for a checklist to make sure that I hit all the requirements per the ACS, whether it be you know sport, private, or commercial. Um, but once we get in the airplane, I know the things that we have to do, but even as the examiner myself, I don't know what body of water, you know, we might go to first or what order we're going to do, because really I'm adapting off of that environment as well. Mm -hmm. If we have light and variable wind conditions, we might have to hunt a little more for a body of water that has texture. If I need to see the rough water demonstration, um, or if it's a a windy day and I have to, how do you do glassy water? I got to see a glassy (laughs) demonstration. I also need to, you know, give that applicant a fair showing and make sure that hey, they have some good visual references that they could use on the downwind side of that lake. Um, so it's a very dynamic environment, and it really keeps you on your toes. Um, so honestly, the biggest advice that I, I give to people 
is there's there's uh, two dozen different ways to meet a main objective. You know, and they're not and they might get uh, trained on a, a two or three really good techniques on how to meet that main objective, but the moment they get fixated on just the one right way to do something. Well, now you're going to have a lot of negative transfer moving into different types of seaplanes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier. The idea that, you know, what makes this flying here in central Florida with beautiful weather, you know, ample bodies of water to land on. What is it about this flying here that people are able to take up to Minnesota and apply there? Sure. And that's a really great question as well. Um, We are... um, we're almost like a cookie jar for a lot of um, <laughs> operators in Alaska and around the world, to be honest. I like that. Because um, yeah, I talk with probably four or five different employers, typically from uh, from you know, southeast Alaska. I do have some ties there. Um, and they, they tell me every year, hey, keep doing what you're doing with these pilots because they make excellent bush pilots up here in Alaska. Even in, I know when I went up there, the initial concern, and I had that concern too, and it was my first time in Alaska and a week and a half there, I'm flying passengers <laughs> and, and as a flatlander in these, these uh, you know, where you're, just, you're seeing mountain goats in the oh, clouds. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but really seaplane flying, back to what we had talked about previously, is critical thinking and thinking on the fly. And the fact that this area offers so much diversity in a very small uh, area, you know, we we have about a ten mile training radius that we typically stay within, and we've got well over a hundred lakes that we can use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, and I think the decision making that you get going from one body of water to the next, it's a brand new body of water. There's new risks, new approach, exactly new uh, approach. You're having to be a good neighbor. Um, so I think those decision makings and le- really learning, if I could sum it up into one word, it's priorities. Um, mm-hmm. So those priorities are going to shift as the wind dies down, as the wind picks up. You know, there are houses in this lake. There may be not, not be some over here. Um, and it's the the runway itself is dynamic and ever-changing uh, and really learning how to read that wind in the water. And depending on the shape of the lake, you know, you get that surface tension along the shore that's going to curve a wave. So do you trust a wind streak over a wave? It depends on the shape of the lake. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of information uh, that somebody can be exposed to in a very short amount of time. And that's probably one of the biggest uh, surprises that people, uh, I, I'd say, come to the realization in the training. They're like, hey, when I when I booked the training, it was going to come down. They were just expecting, hey, I'm going to get my five, six hours, you know, learn the bare minimums, take a check ride. Uh, but what they find, it's it's a very uh, personally tailored to them. Yes. You know, the instructor learns what type of flying they have been doing. Um and of course, learning is taking somebody from what they already know to something new. Yeah. And and I'm very um, outspoken that hey, this is secondary training. If you are not building upon what you already know, you know, you might find an extended stay around here because you're going to be here for about forty <laughs> hours. Exactly. Um, so it's important for the instructor to to learn the student and for that student to form a relationship with the instructor. And and we get uh, to a lot of quality instruction a lot of quality learning in a short amount of time but that is because we focus so much on the psychology behind learning and and going from what they know and introducing something new yeah i remember when i did my multi-engine many years ago with john uh you guys had a twin cb and to that that point of you might be here a while i know at that time there was an airline pilot here that was staying in a camper 
and he couldn't master single engine work in the uh, Twin B. Mm -hmm. And he had been here for a long time. Sure. And that's that's the other thing, too, is um, I feel that one of the big uh, things that draws people to us is we got a good reputation on – uh, we're not Santa Clauses. We're not going to you know, get you five hours and then punch your ticket and say, hey, congratulations. Yes. Uh, we have a very high standard. And I feel like one thing that has never changed uh, throughout the decades that the base has been in existence, it's a very fun, laid back place on the ground. But once that prop gets turning, mm-hmm. uh, the standards are high. They and, are. and we don't have a 100% um, rate on people desiring to get a seaplane rating and becoming a seaplane pilot, mm-hmm. especially the first time around. Um, so as a flight instructor full-time, um, I had close to uh, just shy of a 1,000 sign-offs before I started doing the check rides Wow! as an instructor. And I had them range from, you know, probably uh, five hours. And I've had a student I've taken up to 40 hours just to do the seaplane add-on. Uh, so the important thing there is uh, if you come with the desire to learn, not just getting a desire to get the – seaplane rating uh, but the desire to learn um then we're, we're the one for you because we can help you do that and now you've got a variety of aircraft and you can take them from a j3 up through uh numerous aircraft uh, to get different uh, levels of experience as well which was uh kind of jumping in uh on some of our other questions that we had but i think it's important to realize that you know something i've noticed over the years is that you guys have trained a lot of celebrities and a lot of high profile figures. And as the director of the association, I get a lot of uh, commercial operations sending people to you, whether it's Tropic Ocean Airways or Seaborne or other commercial operators. We have them sending their pilots to Browns as well. And I would have to say that that has a lot to do with the reputation of the training. I can remember being at Pompano Air Center when it was the world's largest aerobatic school and we were working with some of the members of Pink Floyd, David Gilmore and Nick Mason, the drummer. And they came up here uh, to fly seaplanes. Uh, I was thrilled to be working with them in the aerobatics world. And, you know, the next stop was they had a blimp at the time. It was their last concert tour that they did. And uh, they came up here with the blimp and did flying uh, at Browns. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. I hadn't heard that one. I think it's interesting, though. You know, we talk about the celebrities that have come, the astronauts that have come. And, you know, we talked to Story Musgrave on this podcast previously. But the fact that everyone's going to be treated the same, like you said, it's getting tailored and everyone's going to get that same experience, whether you're a sport pilot with, you know, however few hours or however many hours, or you're a celebrity and you flew in on your own private jet. That's exactly right. I think that's just really special. And, you know, everyone is the same. We're all in the same boat here. Ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) Flying boat. (laughs) But I I just always like that. You know, how is it, do you think, that Browns has retained that character after so many years, after gaining this reputation? I mean, we don't advertise anymore. It's word of mouth. And so how is it that we stay, like, kind of down to earth? Uh, You know, that's kind of a hard for me to wrap my mind around as well. But I I think personally – um, you know, I, I'm doing this because I, I love flying. Uh, I don't, my, my identity is not a, a, a seaplane pilot, so I'm not too wrapped up. I'm, I'm, I really love what I do. Um, and again, like I said, from the start, I, I got into flying because I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I be, became an instructor, I honestly didn't want to become an instructor. I just didn't have a, a great way to build time, but the more I developed, um, and matured as a flight instructor, 
I really learned like, wow, this is a really neat platform that reaps huge rewards and, and seeing people like get that light bulb moment yeah, and they, exactly. and they, they learn how to do something. And mm-hmm. especially as seaplane flying, it's just a, a new level of freedom. So you're, we're already flying with predominantly people that are already pilots, mm-hmm. you know, the occasional introductory flight, sure. um, discovery flight. And that's, that's fun in its own right. Uh, but taking somebody that, uh, has, flown six shuttle missions as the shuttle yes. commander and then and then splashing down for the first time and they're saying wow there's nothing better than that i said i don't know that's hard to believe um but that just kind of brings you back like wow this is really awesome yeah what i do and i think that having new people come in almost every day these instructors day in and day out are constantly reminded yes of the the perspective uh of just is not not getting callous to it and i've got a uh, many thousands of hours in this 10 mile radius around mm-hmm. here doing check rides and training. And so many people are like, are you tired of it yet? I was like, honestly, I don't, I don't see how I ever could, could get tired of exactly. it. I know. Yeah. Uh, I've got endless, uh, you know, I've got a hundred lakes in this area and 360 degrees of possible runways on each one. You can do the math on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's constantly ever changing. And, and the people is, I keep coming back to it, but the people and the relationships that we build, and again, just getting to share aviation is just the really, really awesome. Definitely. Yeah. So going into, I think you've given a really nice feel of kind of the magic of Browns and everything. That doesn't sound too corny, but as far as the numbers, can you give us some of the numbers? You know, how many people go through Browns? How many people have you written off and sure. signed yeah. off? So uh, I would say on a yearly basis, we have about 500 students that come mm-hmm. through to add the seaplane rating to their ticket. Right. Um, out of, and this is last year's numbers, and we ended up, we were shut down for about a month with the COVID stuff. Uh, so we had 500 students come in. I personally did about 400 check rides, and we had another 50 check rides uh, that were done by other DPEs. Um, so that means there's about 50 that, you know, basically had to put a pause in their training mm-hmm. and go back and maybe they returned at some later date, which mm-hmm. they oftentimes do to finish their training. Sure. Yeah. Um, we probably have triple that number. So let's say 500 come in to get the seaplane rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get close to, I'd say 1500 would be an average number every year. Of people that come in to, to do recurrent training, mm-hmm. discovery flights. And it's really neat. The, the majority of these dual instruction we get are return customers. Uh, that want to come back and just kind of knock some rust off. Yeah, I was going to say, I've noticed over the years, the same faces at the seaplane base coming back year after a year. It's almost like they have a month that they plan to come back and get their annual flying in at Browns. That's right. Yes, uh, especially around sun and fun. You'll just be right down the road. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, that's, uh, I tell the instructors, hey, bring your bring your lunch because you're, you're going to be flying on your lunch break. It's, uh, it's a busy time, but it's, exactly. it's a lot of fun. And the familiar faces, it's always cool seeing the ones that come back. And, you know, the ones that it's not just stopping at the check rides. Like, oh, I'm done with the check ride. Oh, I'm never going to fly a seaplane again that's right it's like because it's almost nice when you take the pressure off you've gained as much knowledge as you can come in back five and hours. just have fun and you that's do it. you get to come back and have fun and you continue to learn yeah. anywhere you Every go time. you're going to learn a little bit um yeah. sounds about right nothing's really changed since i've been there they really don't yes. look forward to flying with me when they come so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i you know we were talking about some of the numbers and i have to stress the importance of browns being healthy uh, as a seaplane school, but also our, the, our relationship with the Seaplane Pilots Association and with the seaplane community, because I've you've heard me say this before in public, and 
um, it's honestly the truth that that you guys are producing more seaplane pilots than every other school in the world put together. And I know there may be some competitors that don't like to hear that, but that's not a discredit to the competitors. That's just saying that this is a formula that's working and it's producing a lot of seaplane pilots. And that's extremely important for a community where we have to maintain our numbers because the numbers are, are very small. And we have to maintain our numbers if we're going to have a future in this activity of, of water flying. But I think there's something else that, that didn't even come to me as we were doing the research, and that's the number of CFIs that have been employed Mm-hmm. as seaplane commercial pilots at Browns and where those CFIs have gone on to work commercially in in the community beyond training. They've gone to airlines. They've gone to work for private owner operators. They've gone all over the world. And I think the health that is created just in the number of not only the students that are coming through, but also that the, the CFIs that are getting the hours and the experience to go further on in their career. I think that's, that's something that we really haven't spent enough time on in the past thinking about, you know, how many thousands of CFIs have come through Browns. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point as well. And back to you know your original, as far as, um, you know, us doing so many, you know, the large percentage of seaplane ratings, you know, the important thing to just put into context here as well is, you know, the, the wonderful weather that we have mm-hmm. down here. Year-round. Year-round. Yeah. So, I mean, the Orlando FISDO, just as far as applications, it's always the leading FISDO in the country mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to applications, not just, not just seaplane. We're, we're such a small piece of that big pie. Yeah, you've got Embry-Riddle, um, you've got everyone else here in, exactly. the, in Central Florida. So, I think we do have that that leg up logistically of having good weather year in and year out. You know, I feel like a lot of – there's there's really great um, – seaplane bases that do training um other parts of the country that uh, i have a lot of respect for and they do they do really great work uh we're just very blessed and fortunate with the location um to you know operate year in uh, or day in day out uh, throughout the year and you've got a long history right i'm cold in february though <laughs> <laughs> i actually see her with the doors open in february doors up i mean closed in february i'm yeah. like y'all better know Which, how to close these doors <laughs> to me is a sin in a in a cub but uh uh but it is unique because you know we have more seaplane pilots in the state of florida than mm-hmm. anywhere including alaska uh you guys have a long history and i would encourage anyone listening that you want to go train with schools all over the world or all over the country because everywhere you go you'll get more experience so while we're spending time talking about browns and and the sheer mass of ratings that you do uh your rating doesn't stop after the training that's you know, right and the, we, we always recommend um you know, we find out what part of the country this this person is going to be at and um and probably one of the number one question that we get after the rating you know they, they want to continue doing this you know right. they'll say after the check ride they're like man it was what? so much fun but like i'm sad it's over mm-hmm. um so we actually get the privilege to uh put in a good word for other seaplane operators in the country um and that's and that's what's really great um and we like to see because like i said the, the people and building the relationship with them and and seeing them uh, not just get the rating and be done with it. We really love seeing people get out and use it. You know, we love it when somebody uh, might even buy a seaplane and, and they'll, you know, a year or two later, they'll send us a picture of them on <laughs> yeah. some remote lake and say, hey, thanks for planting the seed and at least laying that foundation, the groundwork. Yeah. Definitely. Some of them go on to buy their own seaplane or they go on to fly with other operators. They just, they have such a good basis at Browns. And I think that comes from what they're flying. So flying in the J3, it's just, 
I mean, how would you describe learning in a J3? What is the draw to that? What brings people to Browns to fly in an 80-year-old airplane? Sure. So you look at the any cockpit for a flight instructor, it's their classroom. And the more, uh, or I'd say the less distractions you have in a classroom, the more you can focus on something. And the J3 is a really great classroom. Uh, just because when you're sitting in the back seat of the Cub and your instructor's in front of you, um, you can't see half of the instruments which means it's maybe three you can't see. Right. Uh, but the ones that you can see are are ones, uh, you see the tachometer, right? <laughs> and you can see the altimeter. Uh, but outside of that, you really get to focus on the float and its relationship with the water. And once you learn the hydrodynamics and the relationship of that float with the water um, and focusing on those right areas, you can take that very uh, basic or primitive um boil down learning concept and you can apply that to anything else on the water yeah so that's why we've got five of them in the fleet and they've been the mainstay since since we've started really the backbone this sounds like a familiar conversation that we've had many times on the podcast about you know the simplicity you know it's there's a lot to be said for training in the simplest airplane possible because it allows you to focus on the difference, the transition between land planes and seaplanes. So it's really good to have you say this, Ben, as a DPE. And and again, from your standpoint, where it's matching a common thread that we've we've had on the podcast many times. Certainly, certainly. Any new updates? Yes. So um, I'm sure many listeners uh, probably know we've uh, recently acquired an icon through a, a partnership uh, with them. So That's it's, awesome. it's been really neat. You know, just the, uh, I don't know if irony or juxtaposition, juxtaposition is the, the right term, but you've got a, you know, an old fashioned seaplane mm-hmm. base. And we talked about how we love the Cubs so yeah. much. Um, and now, you know, as a, a training affiliate, uh, with icon and we're able to, um, service and train, uh, icon owners and just open to public and, uh, make it easy, more easily accessible for the public to come get their hands on the icon and, and experience just the adventure and the, the cutting edge of light sport flying. They're just getting into the certified realm as well. Uh, but it's been a, a really uh, neat diversification to kind of add to the fleet. And we've we've even had a, a ton of people, uh, a lot of dual flights in that plane that where they, they did the rating in the J three and hey I want to do an icon. I check just want to go well. fly the icon while I'm here. That's right. Yeah. And um, and honestly, getting the feedback from people doing that, going from um, the J three into the icon mm-hmm. or vice versa, the amount of similar like similar comments that you're getting is like that was just so much fun. Yes. It was it was boiled down. Of course, you got. Uh, it's an amphib, so you have you have gear, you got flaps, um, you, you know, and fa- you land right on the water with your butt in the water, you do. which is totally different than the uh, uh, floats. It is that I tell you, the, the more I've uh, come to know and and gain more experience in the A five, I've really have grown more to appreciate the engineering behind the Icon because I feel like they have engineered out a lot of the negative transfers mm-hmm. that a float plane pilot might have going to a monohull mm-hmm. type seaplane. Yeah, you can really do when I, I know over a year ago um, when Janessa from Icon brought yeah. it, brought an Icon over to our parking lot and said, Hey, let's go fly. I want you to try this thing out. You know, my, my job was just kind of, Hey, I'm going to do everything I can to make this have uh, some, you know, some 
you know, not great uh, characteristics, you know, and something was just something that I'd want to stick a student in and, and be in the right, right seat with them. Uh, so I really ran it through it through its paces, and it's a really forgiving airplane. I mean, uh, you have that coupled with uh, this first certified spin resistant airframe. Um, I mean, even the the J three is less forgiving in that sense. Mm-hmm. You get a ballistic parachute. Um, it's it's a really fun, safe airplane that's um, adaptable. Yeah, and, and, I, and seaplane flying at its heart is adapting. So it's it's a really really neat adventure machine. I I think there's a big contrast between what historically has been our member or the mission for seaplanes and this emerging mission of the LSA aircraft. In that you know a lot of our members and a lot of existing seaplane pilots are used to going deep woods in a 185 or a Beaver. And if you're not going in the middle of nowhere for a week at a time, you're not flying a seaplane. And I know that was the impression that I had when I came on board as we started talking more about LSAs was, well, they're not real seaplanes because you can't go out in the woods for a week at a time with all your gear. And I'm like, well, yeah, but there's a whole different mission for these airplanes. It's just to go have fun and fly a seaplane. And I think that's a very valid mission. And my impression, again, with the Icon was incredibly engineered. They took a long time. They went over several years from what they had planned to go in engineering the aircraft. But when you fly the airplane, it's amazingly well-balanced. Yes, It is. Uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, things that were incorporated in the engineering of the Icon A5. Mm -hmm. Um, I think aircraft manufacturers from here on out, I think, would be wise to kind of like, hey, uh, we might start incorporating some of that because it's it's a really well-thought-out um cockpit for being an amphib it's a um the the flow in the cockpit is very nice and manageable and that's what you want when you have a few uh critical gotchas like an amphib Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's one of those airplanes that really opens up the possibilities you know the straight float cubs as fun as they are uh you know mr brown has always said hey it's like a hammock in the backyard you know it's it's fun and, and enjoyable uh but it's really not utilitarian but when you get in, mm-hmm. uh, most most people, hey, they can get a tea hanger, and they might have some water that's you know not too far away, mm-hmm. but they probably don't live on a on a body of water with a ramp and a way to right. move the seaplane around. So I think it's really uh, what what I've seen anyway is customers are coming through and, and getting the rating, and uh, they can do it in the Icon. Um, but we've had a lot of just transition training into the Icon, saying, hey, this is an airplane that I could actually see plugging into my life and kind of getting my fill of adventure because I could, I got a hangar at my home airport. And Adaptable, this is, like you said. It is, it is. So Abby's actually instructing in the Icon right now and doing the flight, a lot of the flights in the Icon. So if you actually want to come experience the Icon, if you don't do it at one of their other flight service centers across the country, you can come down to Browns and fly with Abby in the Icon. Or Ben or Ken or, and I think everyone in this room is factory <laughs> yes, trained in the Icon, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. So we've all Three gone to the program. Saying, huh? That's yeah. pretty neat. Wow. So huge shout out to Icon. Just it's. It's a fun machine. They've yes. been a great organization to work with. They've had a lot of challenges uh, and obviously uh, some issues, and uh, it's it's worthy to to give them a shout out where it's deserved. Absolutely, and, and again, since we've we've only been in a you know affiliate and a partnership with them now for a couple months, uh, but everybody has been first class and 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 really putting a, a top priority and getting any parts that we need. Um, over this this time, and uh, really enjoyed everybody from from the first demo flight uh, right on through becoming a icon authorized flight instructor. Nabby, I'm sure you can attest to that yes, as well. Yes, I can. 
So uh, what we need to wrap it up here. We've gone a little bit longer than we had planned, but it's important to, number one, establish how much can someone plan to budget as far as time and money. And of course, there's no right answer to that because it's very variable on each pilot. But what kind of uh, uh, budget and time uh, should people set aside to come do the rating? Sure. So course weather permitting um we always say give yourself a day buffer at least um because you have that you know if you got to catch a flight you know that second night that's actually weighing in the back of your mind on the check ride (laughs) what if this doesn't go as planned uh so leaving yourself that extra day but most pilots and they come and they're if they're current and proficient in light aircraft uh usually no problem a day and a half to two full days um, you know, going from ground school, about three and a half hours flying the first day, review session the second morning, um, and then check ride the second day. I'd say 95% of students are, are making that happen. Uh, occasionally, like we said, learning is not cookie cutter. Um, and even we'll have people call up and say, hey, you know what? I took a little longer on my private or my instrument or com- commercial. I know that I take a little longer. I'm going to want that extra time before I take a check ride. Sure, check ride anxiety. Sure, we'll we'll work that into the um, into the training. You know, and if somebody's honest up front and they know how they learn, because uh, we're not going to know that just from a phone call or an email. Um, so, coming in here again with the intent to learn, uh, that's the big one. Uh, but if you're expecting just five hours in and out with the ticket, uh, you might be setting yourself up for disappointment as well. Okay, so uh, four days, three, four days. Yeah, I'd, I'd say three full days would be a okay, be and maybe a, good... a day safety, and then budget wise, depending on the aircraft, because you guys actually have the J three, the Super Cub, the Mall, and now the Icon. So, what kind of budget range? Yep. So, actually, uh, just a couple hours ago, we sold the Mall. Oh, so, there yeah, you go. <laughs> bre- breaking news, newsflash, right? Uh, so, we've got five J threes. Uh, we got the one Super Cub. Uh, we actually have a second Super Cub that's on the way up in the next month or so. We, we do all our uh, own rebuilds in house here, so uh, waiting on some engine po- components to get back from uh, from the shop. Uh, then we also have the Icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so you're looking at uh, the base price in the J3 seventeen hundred. Uh, okay. That's what you're looking at there. Twenty. That's with the check ride. Yes, check rides included in that. Wow, that's yep. an amazing price. So for under two thousand dollars, you can get your uh, flight review plus a rating uh, and have a great time and learn better stick and rudder skills. You got it. That's right. Yep. Okay. So we got seventeen hundred in the uh, J3. Uh, 2100 in the Super Cub, and I believe uh, 2400 in the Icon. Wow, that's awesome. So if you want more information, you can go to Browns, plural, brownseaplanebase.com. Uh, you can try to get on their schedule. You might want to try in advance, plan in advance, because the schedule can get full uh, at times, and it can be difficult to get in there depending on the time of year you, you come. But, uh, Ben, I would really like to thank you for coming on today. Again, it's great to have you on, um, and we have so much more to talk about on the podcast, and and so much more work to do together. Well, maybe as well. we can do a, a, a two point if I'm welcome back. <laughs> we'll see how this one went. Uh, but really, um, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be here with you, uh, Steve and Abby. And Abby, you're uh, while I've got the platform, you're uh, a valuable part of our crew at the base, and we, get, we really get awesome feedback on our instructors. But uh, people love flying with you, Abby. So Aww, I'm just I'm happy to be a part of the team. So it's it's been a special two years. So and we missed your anniversary, ten years. Yeah, I guess so. so. Oh, no, we did. I didn't even notice that. So it's amazing. Time flies, and so do we. It does. So and so do we. Wow. Yeah, he's cracking that one almost up flew over right there. over me. There. Yeah. That's one of the dad jokes, honestly. It's so bad. 
So thank you so much, Ben. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you all. Yeah, well, it's nice to have a great team here. Again, thanks for coming on. We hope you've enjoyed this a uh, little bit longer episode with Ben Chips from Brown Seaplane Base. And we will look forward to talking to you next week. We hope you've enjoyed. Don't forget to send us your comments, like, subscribe, send us uh, your friends also to tune in. And until next week, clear skies and calm waters. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.